uh, which really means just through the next chapter entirely. So it'll be chapter 5, verse 25, into chapter 6, and the entirety of of chapter 6. And this will be, of course, the uh, conclusion of our study through Galatians. And I would just say, as as a, a member of Grace Hill, I just want to acknowledge what a blessing it is to have men that God has given to the to the church to not only to lead us but to preach His Word. And Tim has been very faithful at doing that. And I think our church is better uh, because of Tim uh, to, to be here and um, and to labor at at bearing His Word and His truth to us. And so. Um, this is the last sermon he's preaching in Galatians. Lord willing, this is not the last sermon he's preaching at this church. So, um, but I'm sure he'll be happy to have a break after today. So, well, let's turn our attention to Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 25. And you can follow along with me. Uh, Paul writes, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Thank you, Lucas. Please keep your Bibles open to Galatians. Please pray with me and for me. Father, it is a difficult thing to look into your word and seek truth and to be sure that what is speaking is your word and not human wisdom. 
may what you have for us this morning speak loudly and drown out whatever else is going on so that your word impacts how we live. For the glory of your great name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Galatians. The major theme is do not compromise the gospel. It's the first letter Paul, and you've probably never heard this before, it's the first letter Paul wrote, it's the first letter of the New Testament, written in the late 40s, early 50s, actually 48 to probably 51, some people say maybe 52. It was written to correct errors going on in the church, as most of the New Testament was written to correct errors in the church, which is one of the reasons I am so staunchly in favor of sola scriptura. If during the time that the scriptures were being written, people had it messed up, don't point to me and say, well, in 121, they did this. They were closer to Jesus. They had it right. They were a church that the Apostle Paul planted, and they had stuff wrong. So Sola Scriptura is one of my all-time shouting points. As we close out our study of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, it's a group of churches that he planted, it's not just one, we see in Paul's mind, we didn't really see this um, early on, but if we look at it through the big picture, we see in Paul's mind everything revolves around the body of Christ. By that he means the church, or the bride of Christ, but he also means the physical body of Jesus. The body that was beaten broken, murdered, and sacrificed for God's people. The body that takes farmers and executives, PhDs and those who struggled to get a GED, Packers fans and Bears fans, tree huggers and avid hunters, bacon lovers and vegans, that body, that physical body that was broken, that blood that was shed, takes these odd pairings and makes them one. It unites them in a way that blows our mind. People that have absolutely nothing in common and should have nothing in common because of the body that was murdered on Golgotha now have everything in common and greatly care for the common good of those that Christ has bought with his precious blood. More than that, we become, we become the bride of that man that was murdered on that tree. People who are strangers and people who are strange are now in a closer, unique bond, greater than any family bond, greater than any societal bond, greater than neighbor or countrymen. We are true brothers. We are true sisters. Not because of physical intimacy, not because of the will or plan of man, but because of the will of Almighty God. And as such, we are to care for each other. Bear with one another in the body of Christ. Bear with one another in the body of Christ. Paul starts chapter 6 by saying, 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If one in our family, if a sister or a brother in Jesus is in sin, we need to address that. The scriptures are filled with calls and commands to repent and turn away from that. But naturally, this means we need to admit that such a thing as sin exists. And with our culture today, that's not very easy to do. You live your truth, I'll live my truth. But that ignores the fact that there is truth. Jesus is the truth. There are not millions of different truths. There is one real truth. Truth is not a style. It's not a choice like clothing or music or food. You like what you like and I like what I like. No, there is one truth. But we also must admit that unrepentant sin has a very dire end. Look at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his own flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Flesh does not just mean your body, your toe that you stubbed. Flesh means human selfishness, human thinking, human thoughts, human ways. But more than that, it's contrasted with not caring about God's thoughts, God's ways. It's caring about yourself and yourself alone. There is a contrast between corruption and life, eternal life. So if someone sows to their flesh, they're sowing corruption upon themselves. And we are called to restore them those who are spiritual are called to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. A call to repentance should always be done in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. It should never be arrogant. It should never be come, come at with a holier-than-thou attitude. Look at the end of verse 1. Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. So yes, the one who is more spiritual should restore, but keep watch, lest you too be tempted. That lest you too be tempted might mean tempted in the same manner. You're helping someone with something and the sin is enticing and you get, might get trapped, but it's unlikely. It's more likely that it means don't become arrogant. Don't become tempted to become arrogant and conceited. Don't act like, oh yes, I'm the more spiritual one, trying to restore all these losers and bring them back. No, that's, that's being tempted in a very bad way. But there is more to the body of Christ than just restoring someone who is struggling with transgression or sin. Look at verses 2 and 3. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It states we're to bear one another's burdens. Bearing, like helping, coming alongside. It doesn't say be a supervisor and tell them how to do it, but come and bear one another's burdens. It also, in another part that Paul wrote, if you would please turn to Colossians chapter 3, 
we see sometimes bearing burdens is also bearing with each other. Sometimes if we've got farmers and PhDs, bacon lovers and vegans and Packer fans and Bears fans, we may not always get along, but we need to do that. Look at Colossians 3, starting at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Wow, that almost sounds like a spirit of gentleness in 6.1. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Sounds a lot like last week, where we're told to love each other for the sake of Jesus. In our freedom, we're to put aside our selfishness and love others as Christ loved himself. That way we fulfill the law of Christ by loving Christ's people, by loving his brothers and sisters, by loving our brothers and sisters. And this means you're going to have to get your hands dirty. You're going to have to get involved in the lives of people. If you know someone who is struggling in sin, you need to love them back and you need to try to restore them, but in a spirit of gentleness. For example, you know someone who struggles with gambling. You know they get paid at noon on Friday. They get off of work at 3. Maybe you can. Just give them a call at 3 o'clock, at 5 after 3 as they're in their car, and you know they're heading to Potawatomi. Or if you can, if you're able, maybe you can be there. And as they walk to the car, you don't even address the sin that they're struggling with. You say, hey, let's go for coffee. Hey, let's go for a walk. While the, while the, and you just take them away. It's like, instead of, you don't even mention that. You, you could, you may have to, but maybe you don't. There's a, a way of loving someone and calling them out of their sin in gentleness. Let's meet for coffee. And the guy is like, he's not going to say, I can't. I'm going to pot. I mean, he might. I got to go to Pato. Well, then you'd have to address that more. But chances are, if you gently love them, trees are turning. It's pretty soon it's going to be cold and snowy. We won't be able to walk. Let's just go for a walk and talk. You, you've, you've loved them. And you can do that more often. Maybe someone has confessed they're struggling with lust, struggling with internet pornography. Get an app. Get an app on your phone and your computer and one on theirs. When they search something they ought, you'll get a notification. It's not a bad idea for you to get the same thing on yours to help you be accountable. Not a bad thing at all. But whatever it is, we can't come off as super spiritual or condescending. And we can't assume because I don't struggle with gambling that I have no struggles at all. The accountability goes both ways. Maybe the guy struggling with gambling has no problem with pride. I have no problem with gambling, but man. Well, I got no problem with pride. My pride's huge. Well, maybe the two of us could work together. Accountability. I could help him with his gambling struggle, and he could knock me down to size. We would encourage one another. Iron would sharpen iron. The goal of restoration is to be molded more and more in the image of Jesus. To fall deeper and deeper 
in love with Jesus, to see how much sin hurts. In the process of restoring one another, we see our sin more and more vile, and that alone should help us and help us to avoid running after our old life. Look at verses 3 through 5. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one tests his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. So if you think you're really something, if you think you've got it all together, if you think you're good enough that you don't need any help bearing your load, go ahead. Bear your load yourself. Because you're pretty good. You can do that. But that goes against even what Andrew read this morning. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle. There's the gentleness again. Lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offered to take the heavy burden and give his followers a light burden. And that's what we're supposed to do if we see a brother or sister with a heavy burden. Whether it be sin or something else, we're supposed to come alongside and help. But that also means the tough part. You need to be able to get help. I'm my own person. I'll do my own thing. I'm an individual. It's it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to say, I need somebody to come along. And if it's struggling with sin, or even if it's just life, it's hard for us to do that. It goes against our nature. It certainly goes against our society norms. We want to be self-made. But there's more to it than that. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let each one do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. We are to be a benefit to the body of Christ. We are to be a benefit to the body of Christ. There's all kinds of ways that we can do good and help each other. Some of us have financial means, and we can help someone struggling. As a fellowship, we have a benevolent fund that we use to help people, people in the church and people out of the church. What are some other ways that you could help people especially those of the household of faith. Encourage one another. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Come alongside and help bear the load. One of the things we say most often, but we treat it trivially, but it's powerful, is we can pray for each other. And we, most of the time when someone you could pray for me. Yeah, okay, but what else can I do? Like praying for someone isn't a big deal. Like standing before the Father and saying, Lord, would you please help Lisa? Like that's a small thing. That's huge. And we're not the type of people to do it, but sometimes to pray for someone then and there. Put your hands. Father, I don't know what Daniel's going through, But Father, I ask that you would touch him. Father, move in his spirit, restore him. Sometimes that type of prayer, God works through. That's a way to encourage people, a way to be a benefit to people. 
Remember, this is all in the context of Galatians of an uncompromising gospel, and it's specifically in the context of chapter 5, where we're to be free in Jesus, free to care for others, free to be selfless, not selfish. 5.13 says, free not to serve your flesh, but to serve one another. If a burden is overcoming sin, then we have an opportunity to help, to lead, to encourage, to rebuke, restore in a spirit of gentleness. But not all burdens are sin. Maybe the burden is a struggle of depression. We come alongside, we help, we lead, we encourage. Maybe we speak of what God has done for that person. We remind them of the truths of the gospel and we be a benefit to them. What if someone's in physical pain or sick? We need to help them. We need to come alongside them, encourage them, pray for them, and yes, even anoint them with oil and ask our Heavenly Father to bring healing and care for his people. We need to be a benefit. There are ways to be a benefit for the people of God that we haven't even thought of yet. We need to be creative. And I'm not a creative person. Okay, with food I am. But other than that, I'm not very creative. But some of you are, and we can find ways to do that. Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I'm going to read that again, a little slower. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, so this thief should no longer steal. Okay, we get that. We know why that shouldn't happen. Why should he get honest labor, do honest work? To take care of himself, right? No. I'm not saying you you shouldn't, but it says to share with anyone in need. The reason we work is not just to provide for ourselves. And if God has blessed you and you can afford to go to Hawaii five times a year and Europe a dozen times a year and a new Maserati every six weeks, great. But if you're spending all of your money on yourself, I, I think you've got a problem with this verse. One of the reasons God has given us gainful employment is to help other people. It's to be a benefit to others. 1 John chapter 3 says that if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart, not closes their eyes, closes their heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. There's a lot of talk out there, and talk is just talk. All kinds of people say all kinds of things. But when your talk matches your walk, then people know what you really believe. We are to be a benefit to the whole world. It's not just the, uh, the church, not just the body of Christ, especially to the household of faith, especially to the body of Christ, but not just that. Well... It's been a while since we talked about those dirty, rotten rats, the Judaizers. 
So let's talk about them a little bit as we close out Galatians. Look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 6 with me, if you would. Starting at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh of you. Excuse me. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even if those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They want to make a show of you to others. They want to boast and brag about you to others. In chapter 4 we read, they make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you will make much of them. So these people, they just want the praise of people. 6.4 says he has a reason to boast in himself. Paul seems to be saying, if Paul was here today, these people are pushing circumcision and pushing the dietary laws on everyone so that they can boast about how many followers they have, how many hits they get on their Instagram, how many thumbs up they get on their Facebook post. Will they be considered an influencer? I'm not even exactly sure I know what that means, but it's a buzzword. Or it used to be a few years ago. Culture's changing too fast for me. These people care about themselves and their reputation in the world. But what does Paul care about? Look at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boast only in the cross of Christ, for his body was crucified on your behalf. Boast only in the cross of Christ, for his body was crucified on your behalf. What is Paul really boasting about? That he was or that he is weak and needs a savior, that he was or is a sinner. And he needs a savior. That no matter how hard Paul tried, he couldn't fulfill or obey the law. He's boasting, as John Piper puts it. John Piper says, I am unworthy of the cross, but because of the cross, I am made worthy. Not worthy to boast that you're now worthy to go to heaven, but worthy to boast about Christ. Worthy to boast that you have been adopted that you're an heir of the king now. And God is great. Paul's concerned about all kinds of boasting. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's another place where the apostle is concerned about people boasting wrongly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Cleo's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Uh, I did baptize the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't know whether or not I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. So I ask you, does it really matter who baptized you? Or does it matter in whose name you were baptized? Does it really matter who preached to you? Or does it matter who was preached to you? It matters who saved you from your sin. And that person, there's only one person. And that person is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Anointed One. You may want to boast about how many people are following your teaching, but then it might be about you and not about God. You may want to boast about how many people hang on your every word, but then it's probably about you and not about God. But what exactly do you have to offer? Can you save anyone? Can you take away anyone's sins? If I told you that six years ago, I had severe lung cancer. I walked into the doctor and they were like, we have never seen lungs this black. You might have six weeks, you're lucky if you have six days. I go see a different doctor, a different oncologist. He says, I think we can do something. I know this crackerjack surgeon that can do a lung transplant. Three weeks later, I'm good as new, nobody knows anything. I'm better than new. And I go around telling everybody how great those doctors were, boasting about those doctors. Am I boasting about myself at all? Am I announcing anything about myself? Well, I kind of am. I'm announcing I'm weak. I'm frail. My lungs were damaged. That's not a good thing. But to boast about the greatness of the doctors, I have to admit that my body was falling apart. So why would Paul want to boast about a weakness? 1 Corinthians 11 says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Why does he want to point that out? Because pointing out Paul's weakness points to the greatness of God. It points to the power and the strength of God. Remember Paul said, when I am weak, it's then that I'm strong? How is that possible? It's because when he realizes his weakness, when he realizes his inability, it's at those times that Paul crawls out and cries out to the living God and receives strength. Why not boast about that? Why not boast about how great your God is and all that he's done for you? What has he done? He's given you a gospel that should never be forsaken. He's provided his perfect son to fulfill the perfect law. He's provided his righteous son to take your curse. His son is an heir to the promise and you become an heir by placing your faith in him. By his son being sacrificed and murdered on Golgotha, you're free to love and you're no longer a slave to sin. He provided the body of his son on a cross for you. And he provided the church as the body of Christ to be a benefit to you and to bear your burden so you don't have to do it alone.
That's stuff to boast about. Let's boast about our God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Galatians. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and what he has taught us. Help us, Father, to not boast about ourselves. Help us to never think that we're something when we're nothing. What we have to boast about is we're weak. But because of that weakness, your greatness shines brighter. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.